The poor people of Loreto in Baja California have been hit hard by the COVID-19 virus shutdown, and they need food. Friendship with God is delivering food directly to their homes. Go to www.friendshipwithgod.org and look for the Loreto Need banner to donate or call 619-599-1104. God bless you. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. In Genesis 3.15, Genesis 3.15, he says to the serpent, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, you know, that vulnerable woman that you just took advantage of and caused to sin. I'll put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. That'd be the seed of the woman, her seed. And it, it, the seed of the woman, shall bruise or crush thy head and thou shalt bruise or crush his heel. So in essence, God is saying, saying to Satan, says, okay, you took advantage of man. Yes, you did. You took advantage of man through the weakness of the woman. You conquered man. Yes, you did. Well, I'll tell you what's gonna happen now. It's gonna be a man who's gonna conquer you. It's gonna be a man who's gonna conquer you. And he says to them, there's gonna emerge this special person, this special man who's called the seed of the woman. Nowhere in the Bible, anybody, no one is ever called the seed of the woman. It's always the seed of man. He's a, He's the son of so-and-so, son of so-and-so. It's a man, 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 but not here. It's the seed of the woman, Mary. And the picture that God, and by the way, I said, Mary, now, you know, as Protestants, we tend to give Mary a bad rap because we, we react against her because of Mariolatry. But don't do that. She was the most blessed woman. She was a great person. She led us and showed us when she said things like, I rejoice in God, my Savior, picture that God has painted here is of the deliverer who's going to come and he's going to take his foot and he's going to stomp on the head of the serpent of the crush the head of the, the of the devil but this deliverer is not going to be unharmed in the process because God said that this deliverer is going to have his heel hurt by the devil so the picture that of the serp, of the deliverer raising his heel to crush the head of the snake and as he does the snake then strikes the heel of the serpent and draws blood and that's the first indirect reference in the bible to blood it's of the deliverer who's shedding his blood in the process of killing destroying our arch enemy the worst enemy we have the devil and it's in this process of this bruised heel that we see this indirect reference to blood, which is the foundation for our deliverance. You know, Genesis 3.15, it's all about our deliverer. As we see our deliverer, he's got this bloody heel. It's like, behold the blood of the covenant there. 
and we begin to see blood in this very first instance here. We begin to see this picture starts to emerge for us, starts to get clearer and clearer in the Bible that blood is the foundation for our deliverance. And it's this picture of this heel being bruised as it comes down on the head of the snake that was before the Lord Jesus Christ when he came to earth and he realized, I am born to crush the head of the serpent. I'm born to crush the head of the devil. I am born to have my heel bloodied in the process. And we so desperately needed that. You know, we, we, we needed because the devil was our captor. He was our captor. You know, it was just like we were prisoners in a galley ship being forced to row. And we're desperate down there and no one's gonna open the latch to let us out. And so our hands are flailing out the window. Somebody help, somebody help. And the devil laughs. The devil laughs. And, and there was no one to defeat the devil except for the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why in Genesis 3.15, there's an emphasis on this bruised heel of the deliverer. It's not on us to be freed. It's the emphasis is on the bruised heel of the Lord Jesus Christ, our deliverer. It's like we could sing, oh, sacred heel, now wounded. What language should I borrow to thank thee, dearest friend? Well, we behold the blood of the covenant in the, in the bruised heel of the deliverer. Now, the best description, I think, of blood in the Bible is very simple in Deuteronomy 12, 23. In Deuteronomy 12, 23 says, the blood is the life. Very simple. The blood is the life. Well, what does that mean? It means that the blood is the life in the sense that blood is like a link that links our soul to the body. It's like a liquid link. It ties our souls to our body. When the blood is shed, the body dies, the soul leaves. The soul leaves the body when the blood is drained away. When the blood is shed, life is drained away. There's death. And that's why blood is so important, because it speaks of the life of the person. No blood, no life. And when the Lord Jesus Christ shed his blood for us, he gave his life for us, as seen in the shedding of his blood. And when he gave his life for us, what he did is he opened for us a door for substitution, a great substitution, the great substitution. Substitution of what? Substituting our death for his life our sinfulness for his righteousness. Our rejection by God is substituted by his acceptance by God. All that we have, our homelessness for eternity, is substituted for his home in eternity. We have despair, we have sadness. He substituted for his joy and gladness. We have a great distance from God. We substituted by his closeness to God. We have internal filthiness from our sin. It substitutes it by his purity and righteousness. We have war with God, he has peace with God. We have weakness to overcome sin, it's substituted by his power to overcome sin. We have a oneness with the world, it's substituted by his separation from the world. And we're barred from heaven, it's substituted by his, his right to enter heaven. We have hell for a destiny, substituted by heaven for a destiny. That's his, everything we didn't have comes from a substitution of what the Lord Jesus Christ has. And all this substitution takes place when he died for us, when he shed his blood for us. He died to substitute what we have for what he has. He died so we don't have what we have, but we could have his righteousness, his life, his acceptance with God, his home, his joy, his gladness, his closeness to God, his purity, his power, his separation from the world, etc. That's why the Lord Jesus Christ died, so that he could give us all of that by way of substitution. And since the life of the Lord Jesus Christ was in his blood, 
That's why there's such an emphasis in the Bible on his blood. What we so desperately needed, it was all his, and we got it by substitution. Now, I just talked about one side of the substitution, what we got. We got all those great things, right? But the substitution has two sides because he also got, he also got what we had on our side. And that's what's meant in Isaiah 53.6. Isaiah 53.6, which says, the Lord hath laid on him all we had. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. 1 Corinthians 15, 3, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 says very simply, Christ died for our sins. And when he died for our sins, the Lord laid on him. What did he lay on him? He laid on him our death, our death. He laid on him our sinfulness, our rejection by God, our homelessness. When he cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We laid on him our distance from God. Our, uh, he laid on him our weakness, our worldliness. He laid all of that on him, and that was the substitution. He got, we got, it was a swap. And that's the great substitution that all happened when he shed his blood. And that's what Moses is meaning here when he's saying, stop and think, stop and see. Behold the blood of the covenant. Now, when we hold the blood of the covenant, we see in this substitution everything that benefited us from the death of the Lord Jesus. But when we go back and we look at the first actual shedding of blood, that was in the time when Cain killed Abel. So Cain killed Abel. At that time, God said to Cain, he came to Cain in, in Genesis 4.10, Genesis 4.10, and God said to Cain, he said, what hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And we read some Matthew and say, what? Yes, the blood has a voice. And the voice was crying, the voice of Abel, Abel's blood, was crying to God. And so the question that we say is, what was it saying? What was Abel's blood saying when it was crying to God? What did God hear? What was the message that was coming out of Abel's blood? Well, the message was, vengeance is needed for my life. Judgment is required for the murderer of my life. Justice, wrath is required for the one who murdered me. The life of the murderer for my life. That's the voice of Abel's blood that's crying unto God. And he's hearing that. That's the same, same voice as the martyrs are crying from underneath the altar in heaven in Revelation 6.10. Revelation 6.10 where it says, they cried with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? So this is what the first blood was crying out from the, from the ground. And so Moses is saying now, behold the blood of the covenant, and God wants us now to hear the voice of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ crying out? What's it crying out? It cries out, we are told in Hebrews 12, 24, Hebrews 12, 24, where it says, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling, that's the, referring to this passage here in Genesis 24, the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abram. Better things, the blood of the sprinkling, behold the blood of the covenant, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking better things than the blood of Abel. So the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ is called the blood of sprinkling in Hebrews 12, 24. Now, we're told that the blood of the sprinkling is speaking better things, and now, by using the word better, it means we're supposed to compare. 
the messages of the two bloods. And, and so what is the Lord Jesus? What is his blood speaking? Well, whereas the blood of Abel called out for vengeance for the sinner, the blood of Jesus is calling out for mercy for the sinner. Just the opposite. Whereas the, the blood of Abel was calling out for wrath, the blood of Jesus is calling out for grace for the, for the offender. The blood of Abel is calling out for war with the sinner. The blood of Jesus is calling out for peace, the peace with God. So the cries of the blood of, of, the blood of Jesus, and Charles Wesley wrote a hymn, wonderful hymn, and he says, Arise, my soul, arise. That's the title of the hymn. Arise, my soul, arise. And he, he references like the voice, the message from the blood of the Lord Jesus when he says, five bleeding wounds he bare, received on Calvary. They pour effectual prayers. They strongly plead for me. Forgive him, oh, forgive, they cry. Forgive him, oh, forgive, they cry. Nor let that ransom sinner die. That's the voice of the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus is saying, forgive him, I died for him, forgive him, don't let that ransom sinner die. And that's what we hear from the voice of the Lord Jesus when we behold the blood of the covenant. It cries out, forgive him, oh forgive, they cried, nor let that ransom sinner die. That's the voice of the blood of the covenant. It's a reversal for us of the sentence of death. Now, when we behold the blood of the covenant, we look at it in another place in the Bible at what, Mo, what Aaron did with blood. Aaron did something very unusual with blood. It says in Exodus 30, verse 10, Exodus 30, verse 10, Aaron shall make an atonement upon the horns of it, the altar, once in a year with the blood of the sin offerings of atonements. Once in the year, it's Yom Kippur, it's the Day of Atonement, once in the year shall he make an atonement upon it throughout your generations, it's most holy to the Lord. So Aaron makes this atonement with the blood. Now the word atonement is the word kafar, which means covering. That's what it means, covering. So think of it like this, we are Adam. We have just sinned against the Lord. We are exposed, we are naked, we know we gotta cover ourselves. So we go and we go gather up fig leaves and we sew them together and we say, there, that takes care of that but it's the wrong covering. It was the wrong covering. And Adam desperately needed the right covering. And people today try to cover their sins by doing good works. I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that, I'm gonna go to this church, I'm gonna go to that church, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do with the beads, I'm gonna do with all the other traditions and so forth like that. It's the wrong covering for sin. It's just the wrong covering for sin. That's why God gave to Adam the right covering for sin when he took the animals killed them in front of him. Just think about if you had to watch your pet being killed in front of you. Killed the, pet, the, the animals and skinned them and covered them with the skin. Think about that, blood still on the skin. Maybe warm, I don't know. But the re, it really comes home to Adam and Eve. This great animal just died for me. That's the covering. And, and we need the right covering for our sins. And the right covering for our sins is the blood. It's the blood of atonements, it's the blood of coverings, it's the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Aaron makes this atonement with the covering for our sins and it's called the sin offering of coverings or atonements of coverings. Now, just as God gave to Adam this, this coat to, to wear in place of the fig leaf, that's what he has done with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's a gift. It came from God, it's a gift and that's what it's meant in Leviticus 17.11 and Leviticus 17.11 when God said, the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you, I gave you the blood. 
I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement or to make a covering for your souls. For it's the blood that makes an atonement. It's the blood that makes a covering for your souls. Now, this is the whole imagery behind the Passover and the Passover blood. When it says in, in Exodus 12, 13, we just sang it. We just sang, and we just sang about that. But in the Exodus 12, 13, when it talks about this blood and it says it's gonna be for you a token upon the houses, and then God said those words, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. When I see the blood, I will pass over you and the plague will not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. Now those words, they describe the, the power that's in the blood. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. You know, there were many homes in Egypt and in every house there were sinners. And in those houses, there was, the, many, there was the death of the firstborn. But for some of those houses, there was no death of the firstborn. Why not? What made the difference between the houses that had the death of the firstborn and the houses that did not have the death of the firstborn? It was just the blood. It was the blood. That was it. It was only the blood. All the houses had sinners in it. And, and, and there wasn't a house that didn't have a sinner in it. But the houses that didn't have the, the, the death of the firstborn they had blood. They had blood on the doorpost, on the top, and on the two sides. And they didn't, and, and it was just as simple as that. Blood, life, and no death. No blood, death. Just like it says in 1 John 4, 5, 12, he that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Blood, no death. No blood, death. Now, just like 1 John 5, 12 could be he that had the blood on the doorpost, life. He that had not the blood on the doorpost had not life of the firstborn. So when God said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you, he saw the cover of the life of an animal symbolizing the cover of the coming one, of the seed of the woman, as the covering for the sins of the people. Now, what is it now that God sees when he sees the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ covering a sinner? He sees cover, he sees an effective cover, he sees the life of the Lord Jesus that was given for that person, and he says, pass over. Skip that person. Don't judge him for his sins. And in the blood of the Lord Jesus is what we see when, it, when, it, when we see, behold, the blood of the covenant. Because there God says, oh, I see the blood there. I will remember, I'll close my eyes. I will remember their sins no more. From Isaiah 43.25. Isaiah 43.25. I will remember, I will not remember their sins. And then it says in Micah 7.19, Micah 7.19, he would cast their sins into the depths of the sea. Cast their sins into the depths of the sea. And in Psalm 103.12, Psalm 103.12, he says, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. That's what the blood does. It's the perfect covering for sin, the Passover sin. As a matter of fact, when a person dies, let's just picture this, a person dies and the Lord Jesus asked them, why should I let you into heaven? Why should I let you into heaven? There's one word, and if they start with this word, it's over. It's over. It's next. It's cast into hell. It's one word. It's only got one letter in it. The word I. If a person starts off and says, why should we let you? I did, I did many wonderful works. I was a good person. I did so and so. I kept, I did, I, that's it. Immediately cast into hell. 
By contrast, when a person dies and the Lord Jesus asks him, why should I let you into heaven? There's only one word to start with that will let him into heaven. You know what that word is? You, yeah, it's Jesus, but you, you, you died for my sins. You saved me from my sins. You said that if I came to you as a dirty, rotten sinner, begging you to save me from my sins, while I was on earth, that you would, you would not reject me. It's all about whether a person in their mentality and thinking and their psyche is going through life with, the, with, with thinking, I am pleasing to God because I, or I am accepted by God because you gave your blood for me. It's either an I or a you. Now, the Bible shows one place there where God is really happy. He's really happy. Well, there's several places where he's really happy, but one place where it's great, where he's really happy, God's happy, is in Job 33, 24. In Job 33, 24, it says, like God speaking, you know, then, then he is gracious unto him and saith, deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. That's a great, you know, when you read that, when God says, deliver him, I found a ransom. You see the happiness of God? You can also feel the anxiety of God. The anxiety of God, I need a ransom. Where's the ransom? It's the same anxiety that God has when it says in 1 Timothy 2.4, 1 Timothy 2.4, that God will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God wants all men to be saved. But the truth is, is that not all men are saved, and that causes God anxiety. That causes him grief. God is grieved when any person is not saved and is cast into hell, and it causes God a great anxiety. When it says in 2 Peter 3, 9, that the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, from that verse, we see that God looks on the earth and he looks at every individual. When it says he's not willing that any should perish, he's looking at every single individual. And he's speaking their name. He says, I'm not willing that that man there named Muhammad, I'm not willing for him to perish. I'm not willing that that man over here named Avi, I'm not willing for Avi to perish. And he goes through each person that he's created and he sees all their particular lives and he sees all that the, the, they are, and he says, I am not willing that he perish. That's why we just sung the song. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. And God wants each person to come to repentance that he's leading them to and come to the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. But not everybody comes to repentance. Not a, and that causes God anxiety. And that causes God grief. And what it means for you and I to be God, on God's side and to be God's effective prayer warriors, to be God's effective watchman on the walls is when you and I enter into that anxiety. That's an anxiety that Paul had when he said, continual sorrow, continual sorrow. I could wish that I would be cast into hell if it meant that my, my, my Jewish countrymen, the Israelites, could be saved. That's anxiety. Continual sorrow, great heaviness he spoke about in Romans 9.1. Romans 9, 1, he speaks about a great heaviness, a continual sorrow. That's God's anxiety, and that's what God wants for us is to be anxious over every soul, over every soul that perishes. When God sees a soul refuse to repent and perishes, that deeply disturbs God, and that's what God wants from us. He wants us to be deeply disturbed over that, and only when we're really just deeply disturbed over each soul that perishes 
Will we bring the gospel with passion to the lost? Now, it's this great anxiety over perishing soul that caused God to have this great joy well, we just talked about in Job 33, 24, when he says, deliver him from going down to the pit. I found a ransom. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. The poor people of Loreto in Baja California have been hit hard by the COVID-19 virus shutdown, and they need food. Friendship with God is delivering food directly to their homes. Go to www.friendshipwithgod.org and look for the Loreto Need banner to donate or call 619 599 1104. God bless you. <laughs> 